Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Ronke Dosumu about the reasons why women are quitting the race to the C-suite and what to do about it. Ronke Dosumu, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you so much. It's nice to I, be with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. It's a pleasure to meet you and to have a chance to talk. It was fun um, having a chance to chat in the pre-interview just a bit, and, and I look forward to getting to know you better. Um, you have such an interesting background and really bring a lot to the table in terms of what we'll be discussing today. Today, there's lots of things we could discuss, but today we're going to be focusing on reasons why women are quitting the race to the C-suite. And I want to explore, you know, what, not only what those reasons are, but what can we do about it? What can organizational leaders do about that? Um, and I, and I think this will be a really uh, robust, engaging conversation. Uh, to get started, I wanted to read, um, your bio for the listeners. Dr. Ronke Dosumu is a board-certified pediatrician and the founder of medical uh, and medical director of Foundation Pediatrics, a 25-year-old private practice providing quality care to an underserved urban population in Essex County, New Jersey. She has worked in management as well as in consulting in the field of pharmacovigilance and drug safety for many major multinational pharmaceutical companies. She is working to increase minor, uh, minority rep representation in clinical trial research. She is a serial entrepreneur who has built many thriving business ventures in the retail beauty and healthcare spaces. She is passionate about helping mid to late career professionals build their brand and business so they can harness their training experiences, passion, and purpose to generate wealth, leave a legacy, and make social impact in their communities. What a tremendous background. Um, so, so interesting. Um, before we dive on into the discussion, anything else you want to share uh, with the listeners by way of uh, background, personal context? Well, thank you so much for uh, that, uh, for reading that bio. So um, as you can see, I've done a lot of things. The one thing I just wanted to share is that um, we shouldn't be one note. And that's why my bio is so diverse. I believe that um, there is beauty in having a diverse bio. You know, being involved in many things actually keeps us stimulated. So <laughs> encourage it. Well, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I think I have this conversation with leaders often, like the, the importance of expertise and being able to go, you know, an inch wide, a mile deep on certain topics, but also having breadth of experience and, and breadth of expertise. So, um, and, and perhaps a, a combination of the two. Uh, and so, so, you know, it's, it's not possible for me to go, you know, a mile wide and a mile deep 
but perhaps I can go, you know, a meter wide and a mile deep instead of an inch wide and a mile deep or whatever. Um, there's, <laughs> there's value in interdisciplinarity. There's, there's value in diverse experiences. Yes. And I think professionally when we, when we have those diverse experiences ourselves or at, at least surround ourselves with others who have those diverse experiences so, that, so they can help sh shape and frame the way we understand challenges and, and problems, um, then that's, that's when we come to the best solutions and innovations as we try to move forward. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> Well, cool. Uh, again, thank you for, for joining me for that background and context. Um, so today we're going to be focusing on the C-suite and women who, who are seeking after leadership roles and why they, they might be um, avoiding those roles or not putting themselves forward for those roles. Um, I know you talk about what you consider the three main reasons. So perhaps we can start there. What what do you see as those main reasons why women are quitting the race in the C-suite? Okay, so I, I think it's a conversation that's been had many times. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, the conversations are being had, but the key reasons are not being addressed. So one of the things that I see as a key reason um, is the fact that women work better when they see a purpose for their work. So if you take a woman who's in mid-level or, you know, higher level management and is trying to get into the C-suite, what I find is that a lot of them cannot relate what happens in the C-suite with their purpose. They're so far, far removed from the purpose and the vision of the organization that's not purely financial, that they don't sort of they don't connect. And I think for women, connection is a big thing. They need to feel connected to the reason why, you know, all this is necessary, why all of these uh, things that get done, why the meetings are held. I mean, they understand the why, but it's sort of how does this really make a difference? What's the bottom, you know, at the bottom line? I think that's one of the major reasons, at least that I find. Did you want me to go ahead and go uh, to the no, other reasons? We, we can, yeah, we can take them one by one. So mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think, I think finding meaning, finding purpose, connecting our purpose and our why to what we're doing, I think that's important for everybody. Um, I, I think everyone is happier, more fulfilled, and more productive and successful when they're doing things that they're passionate about, or when they have meaning and purpose at work, uh, and when there's a congruence and alignment between what they you know, the, the meaning and purpose they seek in, in the work that they're doing. So it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, that often women feel like there's a disconnect. I think a lot of people feel that way. So I'm curious, what do you, what is it about uh, women that perhaps make them more likely to have that disconnect? It, it sounds like that's what you're suggesting. Right. So I think what, the reason why it's more likely to happen in women is that women are more relational and they sort of, are more purpose-driven. They're not so driven by num as much as men driven by numbers and, you know, the financial bottom line as to am I actually making a difference? So I'll give you the example of the ph pharmaceutical industry. So if you have a woman that's, you know, going to be in the C-suite in the pharmaceutical industry, I think it will be more helpful to her if she connected more with the difference those medications that she's you know, working on uh, making to the lives of many rather than, I mean, the, the finances are important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing them, but I think that would be a better drive for that woman to get to the C-suite to be, I want to get there so I can make 
medications available for people that have these rare diseases so we can find, you know, so we, we need to do this more effectively, more efficiently, more, you know, cost effectively. So therefore the finances are important, but the primary why has to be relational, connected to people in some way. Yeah, well, that's, that's a really great insight. Um, okay, so, so what do you see the next reason being? So apart from, I think the next reason is that the, the, the rate at which women drop out is related to the fact of the, of, of, it's related to the fact that they've, they have a lot of family responsibility. And this is something that has been addressed also in the past. With women, the age at which they get higher up there into close to the C-suite is the same age where they have increased family obligations in terms of taking care of children and taking care of elderly parents. This And this tends to disproportionately fall on women rather than men. So at, at this age, it becomes a very difficult time for them to balance all of this, to balance the care of kids, the, the care of parents, the care of you know, extended family that they have responsibility for, while at the same time, climbing this corporate ladder when, when, where they're expected to work very long hours. I find that women are able to actually fulfill the work hours, but probably not in the time frame that is expected. So they're able to go back home and pick up work again, maybe after they've settled the kids in bed or after they've done some of those things. So they may not necessarily fit the traditional working time frame, but they're able to fulfill the same obligations in terms of time, but on their own terms. Yeah, and I, I think there's lots of research to back up what you're saying. Um, women definitely disproportionately bear the brunt, you know, uh, the the home care load, the uh, housework, uh, child care, uh, parental care, uh, all those sorts of things. And that that's absolutely true. Uh, obviously, in the aggregate, it's not not the case for every single situation, but in the aggregate, absolutely. And so there's those kind of constraints and those kind of strains. And it always, it's interesting to me um, how often company culture towards like putting in FaceTime, being present, being at the job in the office, you know, during a certain period of time, how important that is to a lot of people and how disproportionately negatively that impacts, you know, women or others, you know, who might be doing more of that family care type of stuff. Again, it has nothing to do with performance. If they're not performing, they shouldn't be in the role. But if, if they can perform, but they just need a little bit of schedule flexibility, they need to be able to maybe work a little bit earlier in the morning, work a little bit later at night. They need to be able to take some work home with them um, and not being held to really an arbitrary kind of uh, this cultural standard of like the traditional workplace of, what it means to be a leader and being physically present in an office space. Um, you know, that's, that's, it's an interesting thing. And I think women, you know, that have to deal with that more than men uh, generally have to deal with it. I hope, yeah. I hope that during this pandemic, that one of yes. the outcomes from all of this can be that we have a further realization that virtual work can be done effectively, that schedule flexibility can empower people to do better work and be more productive and to challenge this kind of traditional notion of, of leading and working in a physical space during a, a fixed set of time. I hope we can disrupt all of that <laughs> and, and help people really look for you know, what's really most effective. 
I definitely am confident that this pandemic will definitely cause a rethinking of the need for this much face-to-face time and that people can be very effective, you know, with less FaceTime. And we do still need some FaceTime, but at least we have FaceTime now, you know, but you don't have to be in a same physical space to actually have physical, you know, to have FaceTime. So I think that will be a difference that we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So how about the third reason? So the third reason that I find, and this is especially uh, common to women at middle age, is they start to feel like, what legacy do I leave after I'm gone? I think women, the older they get, probably men do too, but I think more women start to feel, you know, what happens when I'm retired? Or what do I do after I'm 65 and I leave this job? What, what becomes of me? Especially now with people living, you know, very long lives to 90 and 95, it seems that um, when people start to think more of what, what am I going to do with my life long term? Um, with this, with the C-suite, you sort of, you know, so you're at the head of the company, you continue there, but you don't sort of, the legacy to live in is, is a little bit different. And women at this age, I find, start to think of other alternatives of things that they can do on their own that can live beyond them. I think that starts to become something that they think of more and more. And so I, I see that a lot of women, they weigh in and say, okay, do I want to invest this much time to something in which when I'm gone, you know, in five years I'll be done and then I'm gone? Or do I want to start thinking of something that's mine, no matter how small, that can, you know, live on after me? That's mine. Yeah, yeah, that that's interesting. Um, legacy, I think, is important for everyone. Um, but again, you're you're suggesting that perhaps uh, for females in the aggregate, that's a little bit more of an important driver, uh, mm-hmm. and and so we have to consider that. And so one of the questions I guess I have in response to this is, okay, so why is this even a big deal? Like, why are why are we discussing it? Why does it matter if if women want to, you know? Uh, do their own thing. They want to go start their own business. They want to do it, you know, run a nonprofit. They want to do something that provides meaning and purpose for them that will provide a legacy. Um, and that doesn't mean C-suite leadership for them. Then why is that a problem? Uh, what would be your response to someone who kind of poses that question? So I don't, I think it's a problem and it's not a problem. So it's a problem because if you have a company that sells a product and half of its customers are female, you're going to lose the perspective in the C-suite of those customers because you don't have people that think like them that are contributing to the ideas that need to be implemented. So in that way, it's a problem. I think that even when we address that, I think this, I don't believe there will come a time when we will have totally equal representation just because of the nature of women and what their preferences are. Um, And also because of the nature of of the struggle to get to the C-suite. It's very, very, very narrow at the top. And the things that you need to do to get in there sometimes are very aggressive, um, which for the most part, a lot of women do not want to do that. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot, there, there are a lot of limitations 
the narrow it gets, you know, very few and fewer people will make it. And I find that fewer women are interested in going all the way to do what it takes. They would just rather drop out. So for some, for some, like I said, it's a problem because of the lack of representation, but it's, some of it is not a problem. It's just the way women are and the things that they will prefer. So what I would suggest for people, for companies is it might be a, a time to start actually polling your women if you have people that you think are eligible for the c-suite but you think that they're not really interested in going for it they might make your next people that you could set up set you could help them fulfill their vision of an alternate business where they run and they could become your vendor they could become suppliers to you they already know your process you can outsource to them and that way you still have them as useful not necessarily they're not your employees, but they're useful allies. You collaborate with them. And I think that's something else that needs to be looked into. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, and, and I think of, of that question in a couple ways. I think, uh, you know, on the micro level, any individual, any family, you know, as they're trying to weigh, you know, what they want for their own life, that absolutely, I think everyone should do in what they feel is, congruent with their values and mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they, they should make a choice that fits with them and that's authentic to who they are. And so if a woman decides that, that she wants to do something else and not continue on the path towards a C-suite on an individual level, I think, yeah, great. You know, do, do what mm-hmm. brings you joy. Um, on the aggregate though, it's a huge problem <laughs> because I think because we have such a, a the, the representation of women on boards of directors, on in as CEOs in in C-suite positions is abysmal, and to the point that you made in terms of just the bottom line of the company, absolutely. If we don't have female representation, just like if we didn't have, you know, representation of other major groups of people uh, in those types of roles, you're going to be missing out, and it's going to negatively impact the bottom line. And we we know all the values of diversity in the workplace and and on innovation and all those sorts of things. So we, we need more women in those roles to help organizations be successful. But just from a, you know, an equity standpoint, you know, it's also, we, we, we want to find ways to, to de- take away the systemic barriers to people seeking out those roles who would be amazing at those roles. And you, you mentioned some of the you know, sometimes women just their preferences pull them away and they end up doing something different. Well, part of what I wonder is, you know, I I have to admit, you know, my attitude would be much the same. I have, I have zero desire to try to, to um, work my way up the chain of command and become a a CEO or a, a senior vice president in a major corporation. I have zero desire for that. And you know, so I think of why, why, why wouldn't I ever want that? Why would that be my preference? And part of it is just all the ridiculous uh, hurdles and systemic barriers that are in place that don't need to be there, but they're mm-hmm. just there because that's the way it's always been. And because yeah. it's a, it's a, a world run by men. <laughs> and so, you know, part of what I wonder is how can we start to break down those unnecessary barriers um, some of it's inevitable, like you said, it's a funnel. So the higher up you go, the fewer positions there are, and the harder it gets. I get that, but but there are also barriers that can be removed that aren't necessary that actually negatively impact an organization 
they, they don't help the organization. And especially if they're, if they're unnecessarily screening out a whole group or, or multiple groups of people that won't even apply for a position because they don't want to have to deal with those obstacles, those barriers um, that they recognize just are a distraction that, you know, not, not why they would want to be doing the job. Um, so yeah, I, th I think, I think there's a lot organizations can be doing and should be doing to try to think carefully about this issue to be more inclusive, have more diversity, not just gender mm -hmm. diversity, but you know, racial, ethnic diversity, mm -hmm. um, all, all sorts of di and different forms of, uh, cognitive diversity. Like we just, we need to embrace that. And certainly for women, you know, we would, as a society, I fully believe that we would be doing better with greater female representation and leadership roles in organizations. Um, so what, what do you think? What are some things that organizations can do, that leaders can do to break down the systemic uh, barriers and encourage and support more women to take on these roles? So, yeah, that's a great question. So I, I believe that the C-suite dif differently from the boardroom. I think that women in boardrooms should be happening more now because that's not something really that requires that you climb this ladder or, or those women, women should be appointed now. And I think that if it starts from the boardroom, it'll trickle down to the C-suite. I think right now it's being looked at the other way. Like, you know, when women get to the C-suite, then they can get come on boards. But I think if it was done in reverse, you appoint women who have other businesses, maybe not necessarily in, um, in these bigger companies with C-suite experience, but women that have other experiences into the boardroom, they bring the perspective, a different perspective to the boardroom. I think if that started to happen, the board starts to think differently. The C-suite will start to think differently. And I think approaching it that way might be easier or might work better than trying to approach it the, the other way right now through you know, the C-suite first. So I think boardroom first. And then C-suite. That's one, one way that I think that could work. The other thing that I think should happen is people should be, should be um, assessed more on performance than on number of hours that are put in. So if I'm able to get the work done in 10 hours, I should get the job, not the person that spends 16 hours but does less. So the way we assess value or performance needs to fundamentally change. And also, I think putting more emphasis on soft skills will also help women because women have more soft skills than they have hard skills. This is generalization, of course, and men seem to be better on the hard skills. So I think putting, you know, more emphasis on soft skills will also help develop more women leadership. Those are the two things I can think of. Yeah. I, I mean, great, great tips. And I agree about the, the boardroom, by the way, I think there really is no reason, no good excuse <laughs> to have <laughs> such horrible representation in boards. Um, yeah. and, and so that needs to be fixed. That can be fixed. That's a, that's a pretty easy fix frame. Mm -hmm. Um, and once you do that, then the trickle down effect can be tremendous and, and it provides, uh, examples, right? It, it, it gives, other women in the organization who perhaps are earlier in their careers, they're at lower levels, but they can see these powerful, um, successful women on their yeah. board. And it gives them an example of what they could strive for and, and how they can see how that 
person finds meaning and purpose in their work and, yeah. and then they can start to, to shape their career around um, those similar types of efforts. So I, I think that's so easy to do right away yeah. if, if we just make that our intention, right? If, if, uh-huh. if, 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 if chairs of boards um, will, will just make that a priority, then, it, then we can change that culture pretty quickly, which can then have lots of shifts and other uh, culture downstream in the organization, absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I think overall, uh, we probably don't have the time today to go into greater detail on other systemic types of issues that can be addressed. But I, it, as long as organizational leaders are being thoughtful about this and they question, like, why? Why are we doing th- things this way? Why is this policy in place? Why do we have this cultural norm in our workplace? Why yeah. Why do we have this expectation, that expectation? Mm-hmm. Um, if we can just challenge those things and create a safe space where people can feel free to voice yeah. concerns and, and, and have some, you know, productive, constructive dissent, you know, around those types of issues, <laughs> then we can disrupt those negative systems. And you're absolutely right in relation to performance, like a, a more merit-based system that doesn't reward someone for the number of hours they sit in their office, but actually what they produce, like what they accomplish. That's, that's what matters. And particularly as you go into leader levels of leadership, the relational elements of leadership are so important. And um, again, gross general over generalizations here, but, but generally speaking, women have a lot of uh, really great relational uh, talents and skills. And, you know, man, there, there, there's a lot that comes to helping an organization be successful through teams as a leader, as you build and develop those sustainable relationships of trust and open communication over time. And so rewarding um, women and anyone for, for better performance, not tied to the hours that they spend, not time, not tied to the face time that they spend in the office. Um, because that is just going to, that's going to negatively disproportionately hurt women and others who have those, those home care types of issues like we already discussed. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. (laughs) The time has flown and we're about out of time, but before we close today, I wanted to give you the last word and just give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected, find out more about what you're doing, uh, and reach out you know, if, if they need your help. Great. So uh, you can reach me. My website is mavenceo.com or info at mavenceo.com would also be the email address. And I'm here to help you um, if you're thinking of moving the ladder from the C-suite to the, to the business suite, or if you're thinking of a way of negotiating yourself and establishing your brand, even in your company, so that you can have a better experience as an employee, I'm here to help, and I look forward to hearing from you. Excellent. Thank you. Well, it has been a real pleasure. I uh, really uh, hope that perhaps we can have a chance to talk again soon, and uh, I hope listeners will reach out, get connected, find out what... Um, what you can do for them. And I hope everyone stays healthy and safe that everyone can continue to find meaning and purpose at work each and every week. And I hope everyone uh, has a great, wonderful week. Thank you. Thank you.
We are excited to announce the launch of Human Capital Innovation's new e-magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. We hope you'll check out our first issue and please let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Make their Christmas unforgettable with goat guns. Looking for the perfect gift for your husband or man who is a gun lover? Look no further. Goat guns are the greatest gift of all time miniature gun models. They are the perfect blend of quality and detail. From pistols to rifles, there's a goat gun for every collector, history buff, or gamer. Whether for display or for a fun collecting hobby, goat guns will bring joy and excitement to him. Surprise your loved ones this Christmas with a goat gun, the ultimate gift that won't disappoint. Shop at goatguns.com.